Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. We've got 90 minutes we want to borrow from you, if you'll allow us to do that. My broadcast partners are standing by, located all across the world. We want to talk with them, look at current events in light of biblical prophecy, and we understand they can give us the details behind these news reports that we're reading and hearing from across the world. So keep the dial set where it is. We're here in temporary studios way up in the mitt of Michigan. We're in Kinross, Michigan at the Fundamental Baptist Church, have some beautiful prophets' chambers that Judy and I are staying in. We so appreciate the church. This is just a wonderful church. It's up here nowhere. You can see Canada from here. You can see the the lights at night. Man, it's a beautiful location to be in. Uh, And it's a little community, but uh, hardly anybody living here. But the pastor told me that tomorrow morning, Sunday, here at the church, Fundamental Baptist Church here in Kinross, Michigan, he'll have about 500 congregants come to study the prophetic word of God. And if you're in this listening area for, and want to give a shout out to WBLW, the station that carries our broadcast and is promoting the meeting, that's 88.1 on the FM dial. Thank you, guys. Appreciate what you've been doing for Prophecy Today over these years. Thank you for promoting the meeting. Come study the prophetic word of God with us. We'll be here all day Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday evening. What a time we need to be looking into the word of God as to what the Lord told us would be happening in the days before his return to the earth. That's what we'll be discussing all of the services here at the Fundamental Baptist Church. Well, we're going to Ken Timmerman. He's located there in uh, the southern part of France, a great venue for him to be able to look around the world and see what's happening. And Ken, I've got to start with this. Rocket Man is at it again. North Korea is threatening a sensational event to bring an end to America. Braggadocious, or is he just really meaning he's putting something together to do that? Well, I, I think, Jimmy, it's we're getting to a point where we can judge now the effectiveness of uh, President Trump's reaching out to Little Rocket Man and his personal diplomacy, and whether it's worked or not. Uh, we have not seen any long-range missile tests since that happened. We've not seen any nuclear weapons tests since the first Trump-Kim summit. Those are two very positive developments. But uh, Little Rocket Man is uh, feeling neglected, I would say, these days. And uh, just this past week, he blew up the North-South Korea friendship house that was built with South Korean money, just completely explosive, just blew the whole thing up uh, right at the border there. And uh, now he's rattling his swords and talking about the, you know, they're at the 70th anniversary of the Korean War, which, by the way, has never ended, right? <laughs> there, there, there was a ceasefire, but not an end to the Korean War. So he's talking again about the ability of inflicting tremendous damage uh, on the United States as well as South Korea. I think that this is really, you can, you can chalk this up to Little Rocket Man feeling neglected, and he's uh, trying to get the attention of President Trump. He's hoping for a, another summit. For what? I'm not quite sure. He's desperate to get sanctions lifted from his country, and I think that ultimately is what these threats are all about. And at the same time, Ken, it looks like China is preparing an EMP 
Pearl Harbor type attack on America. Is there any truth to that report? Well, this, this is something that the Chinese have been talking about in their military journals and amongst their military experts for close to 30 years. This is very real. They, they understand the vulnerabilities of the United States, both our civilian infrastructure and our military, to electromagnetic pulse attacks. These are attacks that basically wipe out computer chips. The electromagnetic pulse, the EMP, EMP pulse, is generated by a low-yield nuclear warhead, and that will then knock out all of the um, computer chips in the area that it hits and really could hit. If you detonate it 200 miles up in the air, uh, one a single low-yield nuclear weapon could take down the entire eastern half of the United States from New York to the Mississippi. It's enormous, the, the, the impact that this kind of attack would have. So the Chinese have studied this. They're well aware of it. They talk about it. We've never seen them deploy that kind of capability, but we know that they think about it. We know that it's part of their strategic planning. They talk specifically about hitting U.S. aircraft carriers with EMP weapons. That is something I think that is far more realistic in the closer future than a massive EMP attack on the American homeland. Uh, and they would do that. They would hit a, a U.S. aircraft carrier if they felt that we were coming too close to helping either Hong Kong or Taiwan in their efforts to break free from communist China. Ken, often you and I talk about the U.S. dealing with China. I'm wondering, is the Cold War that the United States has going on with Iran complicate how the U.S. deals with China? Well, it's part of the equation. Let's put it that way. The, the Chinese, as the Russians, are allies with Iran, and Iran is battling the United States in a hot war, uh, whereas we have more or less cold wars with China and Russia going on today. We have a hot war with Iran in Syria, in Yemen, and in Lebanon, where they threaten our ally Israel. So the, the fact that China never offers to help us with Iran, listens to our complaints about Iran, and then continues to help them with their nuclear infrastructure, with their weapon systems. Uh, they are now talking uh, about uh, selling their Y-10 jet fighter bomber, which is a fifth-generation uh, attack aircraft, uh, as soon as the U.N. arms embargo is lifted. This is one of the things that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been talking about this week, trying to get the Chinese and the Russians on board, extend that arms embargo, because if they don't, the Iranians have made very, very clear the first thing they're going to be buying is sophisticated fifth-generation fighter aircraft that could attack not just our bases in the Middle East, but could, could pose a, a threat to the Israelis. Ken, I've heard also that the European Union a bit worried about Vladimir Putin, and it seems now the United States is getting on board with that concern as well. Putin possibly making another move in the Ukraine. What do we know about that? Yes, Putin has made statements this week at the uh, 70th commemoration of the defeat of Nazi Germany, which occurred in May, and they had to postpone the celebration and the military parade in Moscow in, uh, until now because of the coronavirus. And, and this is a traditional venue where Soviet and now Russian leaders will make a you know, major speech about the motherland, right, Mother Russia. And in this case, uh, Putin said publicly that um, uh, some of the breakaway republics from the Soviet Union, and that would include Ukraine, uh, broke away with 
Russian assets that they've never returned. That would be, uh, you know, weaponry, strategic bases, uh, missile, ballistic missile manufacturing um, uh, plants in the case of Ukraine. And uh, that's led people to, to fear that he's uh, getting ready to launch a new effort in the Donbass. That's the eastern part of Ukraine, which he claims is really Russian and not uh, Ukrainian because it's inhabited by, you know, more Russian nationals than Ukrainians. So that's what people are afraid of. Putin is also hit by sanctions. The Europeans have not imposed them as vigorously as the United States have done so. President Trump has been very critical of Germany, for example, for uh, trying to open up this northern pipeline, the gas pipeline from Russia to Europe, because it extends an economic lifeline to Russia. But Putin very much could be encouraged by the Europeans' failure to impose those sanctions against him to make another move against Ukraine. I think that's correct. I love the opportunity to be able to talk with Ken Timmerman because we look at geopolitical activities around the world, whether it's in the Middle East or in the Far East or wherever we find something going on. Ken can give us some insight into that situation. For example, Turkey and Iran, Ken, have been working together in Iraq and in Libya. Would you think that maybe Israel could be next? Well, this is a very interesting situation. We've talked about Turkey and Iran many times, and it's the on-again, off-again relationship. Sometimes they are rivals. They are rivals in Syria. Uh, but now, in the past 10 days or so, they've been cooperating once again to do what both uh, governments there love to do best, which is to whack the Kurds. So the Iranians have been helping uh, the Turks with two recent major operations in northern Iraq to hit some of the Kurdish bases that I have visited uh, and that uh, the listeners to our show have heard me uh, broadcasting from those bases in northern Iraq in years past. Uh, and, and that is, a, uh, again, a, a sign that this relationship between Iran and Turkey is on again, uh, and that, I think, is a danger uh, not just to, our, to the United States, but I think it's a danger to our friends, uh, to the state of Israel, and I think this is also uh, uh, dangerous as Israel gets ready to extend its sovereignty to areas in Judea and Samaria, uh, which both Turkey and Iran are calling annexation. The Israelis don't call it annexation because it is not. Uh, the, this is a recognized uh, that I- I- Israeli area um, that has been, well, I should say, it's a, it's a, these are territories whose final designation has never been decided. Uh, so Israel is just extending its sovereignty, extending its law, and not annexing them per se. But both Iran and Turkey have warned Israel they're going to do something We don't know yet what that something is going to be, whether it will be military, whether it will be a terrorist attack or a series of them, support for Hamas or whatever. Ken Timmerman from the southern part of France, looking at the world for us here on Prophecy Today, giving us great insight into the current events that are unfolding, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'll give you more details when I open up the Bible, take a look at the prophetic passages at the end of the broadcast today. Ken, thank you so very much. Stay safe and well, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He has a Middle East news update for us. Don't miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. (music) 
every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations, those Islamic nations led by Russia, who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now, this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore, to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and so glad you could join us on Prophecy Today. Temporary studios in a prophet chamber at the Fundamental Baptist Church here in Ken Ross, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula. You can almost see Canada from here, and you do see those beautiful lights in the evening here. What a place to have a prophecy meeting here at the church all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Looking forward to all of the listeners of WBLW, 88.1 on the FM dial. Thank you, WBLW, for promoting the meeting and carrying our broadcast today. Well, David Dolan is the man who covers the Middle East for us. It's a major probably the most key region in all of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. And Jerusalem, of course, Ezekiel 5, 5, the center of the earth. But I've got to tell you, David, the United Nations has just rejected with 120 nations backing the U.N. against the Trump push for Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Now, the United Nations has never been known to be in favor of the Jewish state, but this is really an attack on the Jewish state, isn't it? It is, Jimmy, but having said that, it is an expected one. The Israeli government was not taken at all by surprise over this U.N. rejection. Just a few handful of countries supported Israel, stood with Israel, some that always do the Marshall Islands, for one, uh, small countries. Most European nations rejected the move of the American embassy to Jerusalem, not a surprise again, but disappointing to the Israelis. 
Nevertheless, the U.S. embassy continues to function in Jerusalem, not as it was in Tel Aviv. And the Americans say they have no intention of reversing that. Of course, uh, any new president might do that, but that seems unlikely. So it's a fact on the ground, even if one that most of the nations reject. Yeah, and I understand that the prime minister made this statement. We don't care what the account was there at the United Nations. And he, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and all the other prime ministers have always said Jerusalem is not only the undivided but eternal capital of the Jewish people. So it's going to continue on according to the Bible. Do you not agree, David? Oh, absolutely. It is the center of Jewish life spiritually as well as now politically. Uh, The reality is uh, most of the government offices are in Jerusalem. The Parliament building, as you know, the Knesset is in Jerusalem. The Prime Minister's residence is there. The President's residence is there. It is Israel's capital city. It's her eternal capital city, as Netanyahu pointed out, meaning that it was the case 3,000 years ago, and it's still, once again, the case. And they're not about to themselves ever reverse that. The nations, of course, as you know, in the prophecies we talk about, uh, are going to try to reverse that, but uh, God has made his ruling on it uh, according to the scriptures, and the Jewish people are back to stay. They're not going to be thrown out of their land. They're not going to lose control uh, ultimately, of their holy city, maybe temporarily in a couple battles, the scriptures indicate, but not as a long-term basis. David, let's uh, look quick at annexation. Hamas, the Islamic terror organization there in the Gaza Strip, making a statement that if Israel should go ahead with annexation, it is a declaration of war. Now, that's a pretty serious statement, isn't it? It is, but again, uh, as expected, because Islamic Jihad and Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah, as I've said so many times, they don't need any excuse. They don't want to see a Jewish state at all. They latch upon anything they can to promote Israel's destruction. They constantly do that. So this is another major reason that they could riot, that they could uh, launch terror attacks, and that's, of course, as we've been talking about, uh, the Israelis are expecting that. But we had an important development, Jimmy, just on Friday. We had an Arab newspaper report that Israel has promised Jordan that it will not annex the Jordan Valley. That was supposed to be part of this annexation plan, a major part of it. According to this report, again, it's not been verified, but it's been quoted by Israeli news outlets over the weekend, that the head of the Mossad, he was visiting King Abdullah in Amman, and he told him, we will not annex the Jordan Valley. So that's something that the Jordanians have very much opposed, and that may soften uh, the blow a bit if that's true. Well, normally the chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Force is not political. Uh, But uh, the president chief of staff made a statement this week that Iran is the most dangerous country, not opposing Israel only, but for the entire Middle East. Boy, that's a pretty definite statement and pretty serious statement, isn't it? It is, Jimmy. And in the case of Iran, there is pretty much unanimity in Israel. It's not a politically divisive issue. Why isn't it? Well, because Iran is very forthright, Uh, again, as we've been talking about uh, earlier, in saying they want to see Israel totally destroyed. They want to wipe it off the map. They don't want a Jewish state there at all. They say that all the time. So, of course, Israel's military leaders 
are going to take a stand on that, and they recognize that, you know, this is an opponent that's come to us. We didn't go to them. They came to us and said, we're going to knock you down and kill you. Well, you have to respond to that. So it wasn't controversial that he made that statement, Jimmy. And meanwhile, there's been two huge explosions in Iran that the Iranians are indicating may have been Israeli-backed somehow behind. One was at the nuclear base at Parching, and another was at another base. And they're saying Israel was behind that. We don't know anything about that. But stuff is going on behind the scenes. There's cyber attacks going on all the time. And uh, again, Israel remaining fully on alert for the possibility of war, especially in the north. Well, that is a part of the responsibility for the IDF chief of staff. And he's going to make certain that Israel is always on the ready as it relates. Is there a possibility, you think, of a preemptive attack there on Iran as it relates to their nuclear program, David? Well, indeed, maybe this explosion at Parchin was Israeli-backed, possibly something's already beginning. And in fact, the Iranian media has been full of, social media in particular, full of reports that the country's under attack, that our enemies are after us. I don't know about this particular incident, but certainly the Israelis are watching that developing nuclear program very closely with intense interest. And uh, as uh, Netanyahu and others have warned, uh, we may strike if we feel we have no choice. Uh, since you're saying you're going to use this weapon to destroy us, what choice do we have but to try to prevent that? On Friday in the city of Jerusalem, in particular the Old City, the Islamic peoples come to worship. That's their day of worship, Saturday for the Jews and, of course, Sunday for the Christians. Always there is an Islamic preacher that will stand there on the Temple Mount, use the communications he has to broadcast all across the nation a message. And this recent Friday, the Islamic preacher threatened Israel, said, your end is near. Now, that's a warning that Israel's going to pay attention to, right, David? And to be ready in case the Palestinians, another enemy of the Jewish people, get ready to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Well, Jimmy, it's just another one of the signs, many signs, that we are facing a major war. War talk is always there. Again, they say this is their goal. It's not something they might do. They want to see Israel destroyed. They want to see it wiped out. And uh, the Palestinians are joining in that call that's going on all over the world, but especially in the region there and from Muslim fundamentalists everywhere. And again, uh, Jewish state standing alone in many ways, but God is with them, and they have no choice but to stand up and face their enemies and deal with them as best they can. Isn't it ironic, David, that uh, the Palestinians are rejecting now the Oslo Accords. That was the peace agreement from 1993 between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But it was that peace agreement that gave them a right to have a media operation, their radio and their television media. And all they seem to be doing with that media is inciting more terrorism against the Jewish people. Israel is a country that wants to allow two people to live together. Palestinians don't want that, do they? Well, you know, the late Golda Meir, prime minister in the 60s during the Six-Day War, she said that the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. There's been so many branches of peace uh, held out to them over the years, beginning in 1949, again after the Six-Day War, again after the Yom Kippur War in the 80s, and then finally the Oslo Accords are signed, and then they're tossed out by uh, Yasser Arafat uh, seven years later, effectively. So... 
Yes, they could have had a state a long time ago, Jimmy. It would be thriving. It would be great. The rejectionists amongst them are so strong. It's based on their faith, their religion, and uh, they continue this jihad. And again, there's nothing Israel can do but respond to it. But it is sad, especially for the many uh, Palestinians, especially Christians, that would just like to, to live in peace and everything to settle down. And we pray it will, but we know from the scriptures it won't. See, that background that David Dolan just gave you is because of his 30 to 35 years of experience in Israel as a journalist. And that's why we bring him to the broadcast table. We need that information to know the truth of what's happening there. David, great report. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week, buddy. Thank you, Jimmy. Enjoy Michigan. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He is a Jewish settler. We want to talk to him about annexation of Judea and Samaria. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're going to move into our second half hour. At the beginning, I ask you for 90 minutes. That's three half hours. We go into this one. We'll talk with Winky Madad in a moment. John Rood has a European Union update for us. And Sam Rohr, he's a former political leader in the state of Pennsylvania. We're going to talk about destroying history, tearing down statues around the nation of America. That's what this half hour will present. So glad you could stay with us. Well, as promised, Winky Madad's going to be at this broadcast table right now. And Winky, I wanted to focus. We've mentioned it in previous conversations, but I wanted to focus on annexation. This is the week. uh, July begins this next week. And we understand uh, that the prime minister who is serving in an emergency government, Prime Minister Netanyahu, has now the opportunity to be able to annex, take sovereignty over areas in Judea and Samaria and possibly even the Jordan Valley. But annexation is becoming very, very controversial And much of the state of Israel, the body politic, they're divided over this. Why is that the case? Well, Jimmy, you you have to realize that we're facing many decades of this dispute. And as you said, there is a body politic in Israel that believes that there is a two-state solution. That was during the mandate. It was during the early stages of the state up until 67 war and afterwards. For 10 years, it was the Labour Party that was in charge. And so this idea that the 
Arabs of Palestine or the Arabs of the West Bank or the Arabs of Judea and Samaria should deserve some sort of state of their own. Now, many people disagree, not only with that idea, but that it just won't work. It's going to give Israel insecurity. It will encourage their terror. It will not solve anything. And so, despite the fact that we have an American administration with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and President Trump, who seem to be very strong at it's up to Israel. If Israel wants to do with it, we'll go along with it. In fact, Mr. Pompeo had said that the, the settlement, the so-called settlements, the Jewish homes and, and communities and towns here in Judea and Samaria are not to be considered illegal. It's just not enough. And facing the European Union, uh, who is very, very vociferously anti-having Israel extend its law or sovereignty in some form, over Judea and Samaria, it's a bit of a ticklish situation. And, and, and when it comes down to politics and diplomacy, uh, things cannot be made swiftly. But to tell you the truth, I think that Mr. Netanyahu could have been a little bit more strident and firm in his handling of the situation over the past year or two. But that is why we have a split national opinion here and supported by the forces outside of Israel, it is presenting a bit of a difficulty, I will admit. Winky, you're a Jewish settler. A community in the area of Judea and Samaria where Jewish people live is where you live there in Shiloh. And I want to ask you, how important is it to implement annexation, take sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, in your opinion? Well, Jimmy, there's several levels of that. On the first level, I would like not to be administered by a military governor. I would like to be completely thought of as an Israeli, with all rights, privileges, and obligations. As you know, we pay taxes, we serve in the army, but still our planning, our construction is always caught up with a military governor, which gives us problems. Justice, what was it, about a week ago or so, the Supreme Court nullified a law that was the same law that is applied in Israel, that if you mistakenly, not through any fault of your own, but the government mistakenly drew your property line somewhere where it isn't and you built on it, your house isn't destroyed. You have to pay compensation to the person from which the land is taken. But you don't lose your house and so as a result of, this, of that decision, in the eyes of the court, we don't have the same rights uh, as an Israeli does in order to protect his, his property. We are, I'm not going to say second-class citizens, that would be unfair, but we're simply judged by different uh, set of rules, and I'm not even getting on to the issue of our biblical legacy, our historical heritage, the fact that this is our land throughout history, that we deserve security which this land gives us, or whether or not even, I'll go as far as saying, do the local Arabs have more rights than we do to claim that this is our national homeland? Uh, this has gone on, Jimmy, not only for the past 53 years, it's gone on for 100 years, and it has to come to a resolution 
and extending even partially Israeli law will begin to set things right. Well, for sure, we have to admit it is a very controversial subject. The European Union, as you mentioned, also you're looking at the Islamic Arab states. They're looking at this situation kind of controversial. Even the state of Jordan, a good friend supposedly in the Arab world. Here's my final question. It's a big question. Could this, because it's so close to implementation by the prime minister, could this issue bring down this emergency government and go to a fourth election? Well, Jimmy, in order to answer that, I would have to take into consideration whether Mr. Gantz and Mr. Ashkenazi, the two leaders of the blue and white faction, would go so far as to refuse to proceed with any sort of political or legal step that would extend Israeli law to any part of Judea and Samaria. My feeling is that they will try to limit Mr. Netanyahu's application, whether it will be only to the communities themselves and the Israeli citizens living in them, or even to parts of the lower Jordan Valley. But if that is the case, I would think that Netanyahu would go along with it because he is, in my opinion, Jimmy, incremental in his diplomacy. He is not grab it all and in one fell swoop, uh, as we could say. He moves ahead very slowly, preparing the ground. He has been successful with the Golan and with the Jerusalem Embassy. And now, as I mentioned previously, with the legality of Jewish community life in Judea and Samaria. And I think he feels himself that for sure he could win any election. So I don't think Gantz is going to upset the boat that much that he would lose out, uh, because he would if, if there is a fourth round in the near future. We'll see some incremental steps, not something overwhelmingly uh, brilliant, to say. Uh, but it will be in the right direction. It will be what the Bible says. It will be what international law should agree to. We'll just have to move in a little bit of a restricted fashion. We'll stay on top of this story about annexation of Judea and Samaria, possibly the Jordan Valley as well. With our broadcast partner, Winky Madad, Winky, an excellent job of giving us insight into the controversy surrounding this particular issue. Appreciate it so much. We'll have another conversation real soon, I'm sure. Jimmy, thank you again very much for having me on the program. Safe travels, and goodbye to you and our listeners. There's another very important region of the world that we always, on a weekly basis, will have a conversation with our broadcast partner there. And that's the European Union and the man that covers that for us. He's lived in that part of the world for over 30 years. John Rood is his name. And John, the fact is that you did live in Brussels, Belgium for a long time. And our first issue is Belgium to vote to recognize a Palestinian state and then put sanctions on Israel. What's going on there? Yes, it's uh, disappointing to see, in a sense, my my home resident state to, to take such actions and being aware, of course, of all the ongoings and the physical structures for the European Union headquarters, but as well the Belgian 
Senate and the Belgian House, which is there. They've come up, and Belgium has motioned a vote, Belgium, the actual country, uh, recognizing Palestinian state. Uh, there's 150 members, and I just actually got more or less breaking news that they have adopted in favor to prepare a list of countermeasures in the case of Israeli annexation. It's just a continuation, but it's sad for me to see that Belgium is, is one of the least favorable, friendly countries to Israel. Well, they're not the only ones, John. It looks like about a 1,000 European Union members have signed a letter opposing the sovereignty plan over Judea and Samaria as well. I mean, boy, they're really worked up in the European Union about this sovereignty plan, are they not? Oh, they sure are, and the governments have been anti-Israel for a long time. It's good, Jimmy, how you stated that, because that was actually correct. Some of the news items are quoting 1,000 EU Parliament members have signed a letter that's opposing the sovereignty plan. But that can't be the European Union Parliament itself. There's only 705 members. So what that actually refers to, it's more than 1,000 members of the national parliaments belonging to the European Union. Well, it's still just as serious that uh, 1,000 lawmakers have come up with a letter that's opposing the sovereignty plan. Of course, to implement Trump Mideast plan, they're extending sovereignty over some of the areas of Judea and Samaria is included. Europe has vehemently opposed, as we have noted. Talk to me about the Ukraine. They're back in the news, and I want to know why the United States and the European Union are very much worried about Vladimir Putin, who may make another move there in the Ukraine. What do we know? Yes, President Putin had made a televised address, and he has the talent of being able to see where particular weaknesses lie and uh, has come on very strong, of course, with the annexation of Crimea. The U.S. and Europe is uh, concerned that he could make another aggressive move, particularly Ukraine, just to uh, distract from the poor handling of the coronavirus and the low oil prices. But the Russian troops and the Ukrainian forces, which are backed by NATO, they're just right on each other uh, with a ceasefire at the moment. But President Putin has been seen to take in advantageous situations. This could be a time that he would make a stronger move in the Ukraine. John, several times in the past we've talked about the Pope there in Rome. Now it looks like he's calling for the establishment of a pathway, a highway, basically, for hundreds and thousands of Muslims to migrate and settle in Europe. Boy, this does not bode well for the European Union, does it? Well, the immigration point has been extremely sensitive for the European Union, and now there's a U.N. statement that there's hundreds of thousands of migrants, refugees in Libya who are waiting for passage into the European Union. And the Pope, being a humanitarian, he is speaking on behalf of these migrants, which are vastly Muslim populations, and he's actually being perceived as promoting Islam. So that would be a very strange situation, that uh, ironic that the Pope's actions could actually hurt the Christian immigrants as well. 
So there's hundreds of thousands waiting in Libya, and it's more or less figurative for now to have a pathway, but they will work on turning this into a, a literal possibility to increase the immigration into Europe by these hundreds of thousands. That's the voice of John Rood. I told you it was a key report we get from John as he covers the European Union and reminding you again that's the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire there in the book of Daniel, chapters 2 and 7. Reporting the political, showing you how the prophetic is being set in place to be fulfilled. John, a great conversation with you today. Thanks for the report. We'll talk again next week. And thank you for everything you do, Jimmy. Very important conversation with John Rood on the European Union update, a key region of the world as we think about the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Well, we are becoming very familiar with one of our broadcast partners, Sam Rohr. He is the host on Stand in the Gap Today radio and television. He's also the president of the American Pastors Network and at the same time a former political leader in the state of Pennsylvania, one of the state senators for a number of years. Sam, we had a conversation last time about what the Supreme Court decision was on gay rights as it relates to the workplace. But now there's another current event that's unfolding in America that I wanted to talk to you about. We see what is taking place as a bunch of anarchists, and that's what I'm going to call them, seemingly are destroying history. Now, since I've been living in the Middle East for some 28, 29 years, this is similar to what the Islamists did around the world when they would go into a country, destroy their statues, and get rid of any symbolism of what their past history was all about. Why do you think this is happening here in America, Sam? Jimmy, I think it's happening for the same kind of reason, and it's thought of the same people. Just as we had talked about before, we're seeing unfold on the streets of America the actions of uh, God-rejecting, atheistic, Marxists, communists, and Islamists, all working together, all sharing one common view, and that is a totalitarian view, a God-rejecting view, and as a result of that, their effort to undermine and destroy the hinge pins of this nation. Uh, that means our history, and that's what you decided. That's what, that's what Islamists do when they go into a nation. They tear down those visible signs that link the people to past history. And that is underway. It's, uh, it divides people. It angers people. But it also surgically removes a very important link to the past. And I think, Jimmy, it's, um, it's demonic in its efforts, in its goals, and it completely violates God's design for what he said that monuments ought to do and the role that they ought to play, which he talks to us about in the Old Testament when he took Joshua into the land about to cross the river. And I think that that is something that we can apply today. Uh, it's an attack against God, yes, Ultimately, it's an attack against our country, without a doubt. It's an attack uh, against the linkages to our heritage of the past, uh, and all of those things together are designed to move us as a nation into the arms of totalitarian government, away from and out of the arms 
of a loving God. Now, Sam, as I understand it, you probably know better since your connection with the political arena is uh, pretty long in standing. But as I understand it, tearing down some of these statues could be a federal crime. And if it's federal property, then these anarchists could be charged, could they not? Well, they can. And, and the president has issued an executive order. And he, ha- he has stated trying to raise this up as an issue and saying that if they tear down property and what he's going to, a statue and so forth, that uh, they may get up to 10 years in federal prison. Now, here's the point I think that's so critical, Jimmy. This is not an ideological thing. This is not a matter of um, peaceful assembly and protest as guaranteed by our First Amendment. When an individual moves from the point of peaceful assembly, meaning speaking, marching, perhaps, and moves to the destruction of personal property or any property that does not belong to them or the destruction of lives or, in the case of many that we have seen, to burn down businesses, which are a person's livelihood. At that point, they have crossed the line of God's moral law, and they have stepped into the arena that God has said civil government bears the sword to protect those who hold the law and to bring swift punishment against those who violate the law. I think it is notable that across this country, when we see law enforcement who are sworn to uphold and to defend uh, those who keep the law, uh, God's moral law and the constitutional oath, when they kneel before law-breaking marchers, when governors, when legislators, when any in a position of authority fails to bring action, the sword of justice, against those who violate, break people's property, their bodies, their livelihoods, then government itself has become lawless because it fails to do what God has said is the purpose of government. So lawlessness on the street can be followed by lawlessness within government if government fails to do what God says. And so that's what's happening. When I look across the country, I'm saying, yes, lawlessness on the street, we can see it. But we have to view that those in government who don't do their job before God are also lawless because they're setting aside God's law. And that's when, if the president stands and says, we will punish and execute justice, he is, in fact, doing the very right thing. We are in critical days when we see this kind of lawlessness unfold on the streets and, frankly, within office. You know, Sam, I see a lot of hypocrisy as it relates to our political leaders. Let me give one perfect example. Nancy Pelosi, who is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, she just made a decision to remove from the Capitol building a number of statues and our pictures, artwork, that uh, would represent some of the former leaders of America. And I can't understand. She's been serving, I think, at least 30 years in the House of Representatives. She's been the Speaker of the House. This is the second time. Why is she waiting to now to make this decision? Well, because she's driven by a politically correct agenda, not by principle, and certainly not by constitutional truth or God's moral truth. And, uh, and that's the way these kinds of things happen when we set aside God's law as Romans 1 talks about people who don't view, want to have God in their mind, and they set it aside, 
God just says, fine, then you go do whatever. And it does not make sense at that point, and it does not lead to freedom. And it reminds me of those who are uh, talked about in Psalm chapter 2, where you have leaders, governmental leaders, that raise their fists to God of heaven and defy him and say, we will do what we want to do based on the moment, based on our own thoughts, based on what we think is going to gain for us uh, uh, some kind of benefit by those who are uh, citizens, perhaps, or those who may, whatever it may be. Anything that's put before God's moral law and God's, God's truth is, in fact, falls into that area. And that's what I see driving the action of a Nancy Pelosi or others who, frankly, do things that are not right or, frankly, fail to do those things which are right. Sam, do we not have to know history in order to be able to, as a country, as an individual, move into the future? Well, we do, and I think I think clearly when our founders came, as an example, then they weren't perfect, but they came to a new land. They came, as the pilgrims did, as missionaries to a new land that could raise their children in the fear of God. One thing led to another, and ultimately we had a generation who had a fear of God, who went to the Word of God and said, we have a new nation. What can we do that can end up with God's blessing. Well, they studied history. They studied the civilizations of the world, and they went to God's Word, and they looked at what and how God dealt with his own nation of Israel, and what God said to them, if you want to be blessed of me as a nation, then do my commands, follow my statutes, uh, implement my moral law, and the purposes for government and the home and the church. And as he laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you do these things, do what I say, you choose life. I will give you prosperity. I will make you secure from your enemies. I will bless your families. You will have those things that every person or most people want. But if you turn your back on those things and you think you've got a better way and you replace my law with your thoughts, and you replace my justice with your thoughts of justice, then I will turn that blessing to judgment, and your security will go to bondage, and your justice will go to insecurity and injustice, and instead of choosing life, God says you will choose death. It's it's simple, but our founders understood it, And if there's anything that we as church leaders and peoples in America who love freedom, the best thing that we could do is walk back to the pages of Scripture and reacquaint ourselves with those principles that our founders identified that God has laid out. Well, I'd have to say an amen to that, Sam. Appreciate that thought. Uh, At the same time, though, you've got to think about these anarchists setting up autonomous zones. I don't have time to get into that. Maybe another program will do that. But let me just ask this last question. Will all of this lead to a civil war here in America, do you believe, Sam, or not? Uh, In in reality, I think that we are in, perhaps you could say it this way, Act 1 of a civil war. And it's a civil war from the standpoint that we are seeing these first actions on the street. It's from, it's from the Marxist-Communist playbook. It's an intended practice to create fear and panic, to lift a fist against authority, 
uh, against the God of heaven. And if the people of this nation and government leaders in this nation do not respond with the recipe that God has laid out relative to justice and the sword of justice and people limiting their actions according to God's Ten Commandments, uh, as he said, if we do not do that, then Act Two will unfold. And that Act Two ends up in a revolution where the goals of the Marxists and the Communists are to completely upend every aspect of a self-governing representative republic has any remote fear of God underneath of it. That is their goal. That is where we are. A second civil war is possible, particularly if God's people don't understand what is at stake. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways of idolatry, and go back to him very soon. It is up to us. It is up to God's people. That's the voice of Sam Rohr. He is the president of the American Pastors Network, the host of Stand in the Gap Today radio and television, and a very dear friend of us right here on Prophecy Today. That was an excellent conversation with you, Sam. Thank you so very much. And I'm sure we're going to have to have additional conversations down the road. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we move in to the last half hour of the 90 minutes I've asked you for. I'll be talking with David James. We're going to continue from a spiritual perspective and what the churches should probably be doing. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, a temporary studio here at Ken Ross, Michigan, up here in the Upper Peninsula. I want to thank and give a shout-out to WBLW, the broadcasting facility here in this region. We'll be at the Fundamental Baptist Church all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Come join us as we study the Word of God. Let me quickly give you my poll question Since Romans chapter 13 verse 1 states that all political leaders are put in place by God, and since Jesus is the Son of God, do you believe that the destruction of historic statues and the destruction of plate glass windows and statues depicting Jesus is an attack against God himself? That's the poll question. Answer it, if you will, at addressprophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. Sometimes if we have an email question from some of our listeners, we'll deal with that. But then we focus on an issue that is so important to the body of Christ and to have a biblical understanding of the issue. This time we're going to talk about the destruction of the statues and, in addition to that, the stained glass depictions of Christ that they're calling for to be destroyed as well going to be a very important conversation. But David, as we get underway, I did suggest that uh, sometimes we get an email. We got one from a listener this week that I thought would be very interesting to discuss because it has to do with the timing of the rapture in relationship to the tribulation period. Give us some insight there. Sure. Well, our listener's question was this. Uh, Can you speak to the pre-wrath view? I find this sweeping through the church, many young pastors replacing older ones with this. Uh, 
and he's right about that. And then he mentions that the falling away and the revealing of the lawless one uh, needs to be before the rapture. So, Jimmy, the pre-wrath view says the rapture of the church will happen after the tribulation starts, but before the wrath of God being poured out, which is at the sixth seal, uh, when the sun is darkened and the moon turns to blood, fulfilling Joel chapter 2, and that happens in Revelation chapter 6. Then in verse 17, that verse says, the great day of his wrath has come. And, Jimmy, I think there are multiple problems with the pre-wrath view, but we only have time for a couple. The first problem is that it's Jesus who breaks all seven seals. So the first four seals, for example, the four horsemen judgments, those are also God's wrath and judgment, and the church has been promised to be kept from God's wrath. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and also in chapter 5. And then another problem, I think, is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that's what our listener is referring to. The King James reads this way, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Now, the problem is that the phrase, that day shall not come, those five words are in italics, meaning they aren't in the Greek text, and that's a difficult passage in the Greek, very difficult to translate, and we're not even sure exactly how it should be translated, and without that phrase, the pre-wrath view falls apart. And another issue is the word apostasia, which we get our word apostasy from. It means a departure. Now, some scholars believe this refers to the rapture rather than the falling away of the church, and I think Andy Woods, for example, if our listeners want to look this up on YouTube, Andy Woods makes a good case for this view, although, you know, it's not necessarily a hill I'm ready to die on, but I think it's certainly something that works into the discussion. Yes, David, I would agree with Andy that that is the rapture of the church there. Well, David, let's get to the discussion now. A couple of weeks ago, we dwelt with the spiritual dimensions to the chaos here in America. We looked at Ephesians chapter 6, but this week, We've seen attacks against society and government and now even religious institutions with this thing escalating to the point that they're calling for destruction of statues and stained glass depictions of Jesus Christ. That's a step too far, isn't it, David? Yeah, I would certainly say it is. You know, when we discussed the chaos in America a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being in a spiritual battle with a powerful enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And, you know, since last week's program, writers who have been largely fueled by the group Black Lives Matter, they've escalated things to the point that they've set their sights on additional targets beyond Confederate soldiers. For example, statues of Christopher Columbus have come down, and some are calling for changing the name even of the city of Columbus, Ohio, and I'm from Columbus, Indiana, uh, so it hits kind of close to home, and they're wanting to topple an emancipation statue of President Lincoln, and they've also defaced the Lincoln Memorial, and some say that Stone Mountain, which is not too far from you, and Mount Rushmore should be destroyed. Uh, this week, the Museum of Natural History in New York City has said they're going to take down a statue of Theodore Roosevelt, and Rhode Island is probably going to drop the phrase, and Providence Plantation quote-unquote, from its official name, and some want the Washington Monument taken down. So what about the name of Washington State or the name of our nation's capital? Jimmy, there's just no end in sight. And as you said, now there are calls for statues and stained-glass windows uh, depicting Jesus to come down, and this was started by one of the main Black Lives Matter activists in Seattle. Well, David, since you brought up Black Lives Matters, 
Let's uh, talk about these activists just a moment. The man you are referring to, I do believe, is Sean King, who has started a movement to destroy these depictions of Jesus. What can you tell us about him and why he's doing this? Well, Sean King is 41 years old, and he's a writer and a civil rights activist and a co-founder of the Real Justice Pact, that's Political Action Committee, and he uses social media to promote social justice causes, and he's been a prominent voice in defending the Palestinians against uh, Israel, for example, and attacking the Republican Party, and of course promoting the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. And over the years, King has been involved in a number of controversies, including some related to fundraising, and we don't have time to get into that. But his most recent comments on Twitter have only added fuel to the fire in the push to wipe out anything that's perceived or claimed to be related to white supremacy. So on Monday, he tweeted, Yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. And then in another tweet, he wrote, Yes, all murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They are a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. And here's another interesting thing, Jimmy, about Sean King. He was a pastor at Total Grace Christian Center in DeKalb County, Georgia, and he was also the founder of a church called Courageous church in Atlanta, from which he resigned in 2012. So he and the others in the Black Lives Matter movement would claim to be Christians. You know, I think that means, David, we ought to talk a little bit more about Black Lives Matter and why this is very important for believers to understand and be careful as they think through all of this. Well, Black Lives Matter claims to have over 30 chapters in the United States, along with sister organizations around the world. And it's also a broader movement. It's made up of like-minded organizations and individuals who aren't officially a part of the BLM organization. And the movement actually began in 2013 when a campaign was started on social media with a Twitter hashtag, Black Lives Matter. And that was after George Zimmerman, uh, our listeners may remember, after he was acquitted of killing Trayvon Martin in February of 2012. And then BLM gained attention in 2014 with the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and then Eric Garner in New York City. And now, since the death of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter has gained even more support, very broad support in our country, and has been central to the protests and destructive riots we've been seeing for weeks now. Now, in reaction to the BLM movement, the phrase, all lives matter, sprang up, and that's been very controversial. A lot of people have reacted to that. And then when two police officers were shot in Ferguson, supporters of the police started the hashtag, blue lives matter. And, you know, a number of black civil rights activists and other black leaders have been openly critical of the confrontational and sometimes violent tactics of Black Lives Matters, and some have called it a Marxist organization. So, Jimmy, I would say that we should support the statement Black Lives Matter just as we would support all of the other lives mattering, but not the Black Lives Matter movement, because the movement and especially the organization, uh, they've shown themselves to be dangerous and to be honest, I'm wondering if it could end up sparking a race war in this country. 
Yes, that is, I do believe, a very viable possibility. And by the way, I was just thinking while you were responding to my question, to God, all lives matter, and praise the Lord for that. David, before we get into the matter of depictions of Jesus and the implications of that, I want to discuss a video that you sent me of an interview with a leader of Black Lives Matter's movement, which I think may be found by many to be very disturbing. Well, Jimmy, that interview was by Martha McCallum on her nightly Fox News show, The Story, with a man named Hawk Newsom. And uh, Martha asked what he hopes to achieve through violence. And he responded by saying that America was built on violence, starting with the Revolutionary War. So that's part of how he justifies it. And he argued that no one was paying attention to peaceful protests. And when they started destroying property, police were fired and held to account. And then at one point, Martha asked him about a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, let us be dissatisfied until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everyone will talk about God's power and human power. And then Newsom said that his Lord and Savior, this is a quote, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was the most famous black radical revolutionary in history who was treated just like Dr. King being arrested and then he said assassinated. And so this man also claims to be a Christian. And then he said that this is what happened happens to black activists. They're killed by the government. And then Martha pushed back some by saying that Jesus was of Middle Eastern descent. And earlier, Newsom had said that if they don't get what they want, then they'll burn down the system and replace it. Jimmy, this is not the language or tactics used by Jesus or the apostles. And they all lived and died under a radically brutal regime, a radically brutal empire, and they were mercilessly persecuted by a powerful religious establishment as well. That's a very important statement you made. That is very key to understanding this whole situation. David, as we finish our discussion today, I would like for you to give us some perspective concerning the criticism of depictions of Jesus and also some implications for other related issues that may well be a problem for all believers as we go forward. Well, Jimmy, I find this whole thing disturbing because I think there are several things going on that aren't helpful and could end up being a serious problem for our country and for believers in particular. First thing is, we don't learn from history by wiping out any memory of it. There's the old saying that those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And that's true of statues of Confederate soldiers. A better thing might be to put up educational plaques uh, rather than tearing those statues down. And even if they are taken down, it should be done decently and in order. And the statues in stained glass windows that depict Jesus and Mary as white Europeans, those were never intended to be symbols of white supremacy, despite the claims by some in Black Lives Matter. It's just an excuse for anarchy. And then what's next? Do we also ban movies like The Greatest Story Ever Told or The Robe or Jesus of Nazareth uh, miniseries from the 1970s? Right, they got Jesus' ethnicity wrong. But are we missing the forest for the trees? And, of course, more recent depictions have corrected this in, in the past couple of decades. And behind all this, I think we're witnessing attempts to deconstruct Christianity and the Bible specifically. What about the fact that Paul didn't condemn slavery as an institution, but instead told believing slaves to be obedient? Do we throw out the Bible? When does the book burning start? Jesus was not a black radical uh, revolutionary, and his narrative is being hijacked for political purposes. That is absolutely correct. And I do believe that some of these so-called former preachers, if they spend more time in the book, 
they would understand. And the book I'm talking about, of course, is the Bible. And uh, I don't know that it ever says exactly which color Jesus Christ was in the Bible. I've not been able to find it. I've been studying it for over 50 years. But God's word is absolute. He loves everybody. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know him as Lord and Savior. Oh, that's Second Peter, by the way, chapter 3 and verse 9. Well, this was a great discussion, David. I'm so glad that you suggested we go forward this way for our discussion today. Thank you so much for your research. Appreciate it. We'll have another, so get to work on that next discussion we'll have next week. I'll do it. Looking forward to it, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book and compare all the current events reported by our broadcast partners as to what God's prophetic word says about the future. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. The program preceding our opportunity to open God's Word to see what it says about these reports from our broadcast partners was filled with details behind the current events that our broadcast partners brought to our attention here on the broadcast. These were great reports. They gave us the details key for us to be able to understand how these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there you'll be able, when you go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, 
you'll be able to listen to any and or all of the reports from my broadcast partners from across the world. This is a very important exercise for you because it keeps you in tune with what God's prophetic word is saying and how the stage seems to be set for these prophecies to be fulfilled. In addition, if you will, tell a friend they need to hear what these men had to tell us, and then you can teach them the prophetic scenario that is going to unfold in the near future. It'll help to build up their Christian life, or if they don't know Christ, maybe you can even lead them to Jesus Christ. Again, that location on my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, there you can find all of these interviews. I want to thank and give a shout out to WBLW, the broadcasting facility, our network facility here in this region. So good to be able to have this privilege and opportunity to teach the prophetic word of God. We'll be at the Fundamental Baptist Church all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Come join us as we study the word of God. Right now, if you'll allow me, I want to give you a prophetic perspective on what my broadcast partners had to say. Ken Timmerman, located there in southern France, talked about North Korea making a threat of a sensationalist event to destroy America. Well, let me say this. Rocket Man is too big for his britches. Now, I can say that. I'm 80 years of age. And I can call this young man down. However, part of the kings of the east found in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 is a part of a scenario that describes the participation by the Koreas, both North and South Korea, by India, China, Japan, and all of those other nations out in the Far East. We must keep an eye on that region of the world, especially China, India, and the Koreas, because they will be the only peoples alive in that last half of the tribulation period. The others will have been killed in the fourth seal judgment and the sixth trumpet judgment. When the Lord gathers all the nations of the world at Jerusalem, it will be those who come out of the Far East. David Dolan is the man who each week gives us his Middle East news update this time, He reported that the United Nations has rejected the Trump push for Jerusalem to be the capital of the Jewish state of Israel. You might remember he made that announcement in December back in 2017. Now, this is key to remember because Jerusalem is already, whether the United Nations agrees or not, is already the political eternal and undivided capital of the Jewish state. That happened 3,000 years ago, Second Samuel chapter 7, when the Lord gave David, King David, the Davidic covenant in order to know exactly how the Jewish people would receive and be able to live forever in the city of Jerusalem. And that is, of course, in response to Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14, where it says that Jesus will dwell among his people forever. Winky Madad gave us some great information and insight into annexing of Judea and Samaria, which is a very important event that is supposed to take place this coming week. 
It's a very controversial situation in Israel, the Middle East, and even the United States, with the president not yet making a decision what to say to Israel as it relates to annexing. Remember, Secretary of State Pompeo said the decision was up to Israel. No, actually, it's up to God. It's his plan. It's his plan for the Jewish people, Ezekiel chapter 36 and Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is the land covenant. John Rood brought to our attention the European Union is worried that Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, is going to move on the Ukraine, take more land. You know, there's been a battle for the Ukraine for many, many years. Russia used the Ukraine as a buffer from attacks early in their history. The European Union believes the Ukraine belongs to them. It's key to the future because the European Union is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And Russia is a major player as well in the tribulation period. Sam Rohr gave us some great insight as it relates to the destruction of historic statues and the history of America. These statues are teaching items, both for good and for bad. If it's bad that it's teaching, we don't want to repeat that. But if it's good, we should use that as a model to live by in the future. Remember Joshua, as they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, he had them lay 12 stones there as a statue to the event that did take place at that time. And then David James and I had our weekly conversation. I love to talk with David. We talked about not only the destruction of the statues, but now how plate glass windows and the statues depicting Jesus are going to be destroyed. Well, we don't know if Jesus was white or not. Have you ever compared yourself to a white piece of paper? I don't think I'm white as well. The color of Jesus really does not matter. What matters is Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now, that is what is key as it relates to Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, admit you're a sinner today, call upon him to save you, and he will give you eternal life. And you better do that because you need to be prepared for the next event that is going to take place. And everything that we've said with our broadcast partners today is tangible evidence that that event, the rapture of the church, could actually take place at any moment. Having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.